Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Everything Co-op. Welcome this morning. It's a beautiful, beautiful Thursday morning here in Washington, D.C. And we have two wonderful ladies on the show with us this morning. We have Dorcas Gilmore, who has her own law firm here in the district, Gilmore Chandahar, and Renee Hatcher, who's out of Chicago. She's at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning, Vernon. So, Renee, can we start with you and tell us what you do at the university? Yeah, absolutely. So I am an assistant professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago at the law school. And so in addition to, you know, regular teaching responsibilities, I run a clinic called the Community Enterprise and Solidarity Economy Clinic. That's a long way of saying we provide free legal support to cooperatives and uh, nonprofit organizations or community-based organizations that are really thinking about transformative change, economic justice, racial justice in the greater Chicagoland area. Um, So we help them with things like starting, forming, governance, uh, different types of contracts that they may need, pretty much everything that a lawyer does that doesn't require someone to go actually into the courtroom, which I don't know that people think all that often about, but um, our practice is transactional, which basically means we help people build the institutions that actually serve them and um, that actually improve their lives. And we focus in on, you know, communities and community-based organizations that are really trying to put form, put forward a transformative vision for their own neighborhood. Transformative vision for their own neighborhood. I like it. And Dorcas, what do you what do you do in your business, in your law firm? Well, thank you, Vernon, for having us. And Gilmore Kandahar is a solidarity economics law firm, and that means we do a lot of what Renee just described. We represent racial and economic justice focused organizations as their general counsel, which means we're their in house lawyer for the range of things that organizations might need. Um, And we work a lot on collective and cooperative land projects, uh, collective and cooperative stewardship of resources, which is to say money. And then we uh, support a range of projects by consulting and training uh, lawyers in particular on how to be in partnership with communities, how to actually be of service to communities, what some would call a community lawyering approach, or in a larger view, a movement lawyering approach. Uh, So we do training on those things as well. And yeah, really at, at base, it is 
exactly what uh, Renee was describing of lawyers in service of communities and particularly our communities. And by that, I mean communities who have borne the brunt of disinvestment and extraction in this economy. Lawyers in service of community. Lawyers in service of communities. Lawyers in service of communities. I normally think of lawyers as in service to themselves. Lawyers in service of community. Okay. Absolutely not. Really, absolutely not. As you say, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think just in, in my own journey, like one of the reasons why I've gravitated towards this work is because of sometimes how disheartening, problematic it seems like most of the legal profession is. But, you know, one of the things that I think is really inspiring about this work is that it allows us to look beyond what's currently in place in the law, allows us to be creative. And really, the reason why I went to law school was to be in service to my community, to figure out how to both understand, but also leverage, right, the legal system in a way that would produce positive outcomes for my community, instead of the law being this huge space and system of harm specifically for black communities. And so one of the things that I love about this work is like at the base, I know I've done a good job if really what I'm doing is, is just supporting the self-determination of communities, right? And that's more or less how I see a check on my work. And I think both Dorcas and I primarily, as she said, like work in black communities, certainly in communities that have received the most burdens or, or are uh, left out of the mainstream economy. And so uh, being able to think differently, to think creatively and being a lawyer is a big deal, but also just like being able to, to support what people's visions are for, for their own neighborhoods, for their own communities uh, to further self-determination. Like it's so fulfilling, enriching. So yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately what we hope to do is to be in service to our community because in part, that's the reason why we do, we do all of this in the first place. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Dorcas, thank you for that. Um, so it gets down to what does it cost? So Renee, what does it cost if somebody wants to come into your clinic and get support? Let's say we want to start a co-op. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I'm in a unique position. I started my career in legal services. And in part, you know, I did that because I wanted to be able to work with the clients and, and support like the community work that often is not well resourced. And what do you I, mean by not well resourced? Meaning that like we have always particularly black communities or communities that uh, have been ignored, disempowered by the power structure, by capitalism, by racism, typically do not have the resources to pay an attorney. Uh, Too often we are broke and we want to start a business and we don't got, we don't got no assets. Yeah, okay. Well, I know what you, okay. True. I just want you to bring it on. That's both true. And okay. we've also always been able to do a lot with a little bit, right? And, yeah. But I wanted to be in a unique position to be able to represent the clients that I cared about, not based on their ability to pay. And so one of the reasons I, I made my way or I found my way to academia was to be able to do work pro bono, um, but also not necessarily to have to constantly fundraise or to, to try to both woo and explain why this work was important to philanthropy. Um, and so I'm in a unique position as a director of a clinic at a law school in that we don't require uh, clients to pay. 
you know, essentially our work is pro bono with the exception of any kind of filing fees that might come up. But also, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm so thrilled and, and always very inspired and encouraged by Dorcas's work at her law firm because it, I think it's a signal one that more people are moving towards collective forms of organization, of governance, um, but that also like we have like this work happening at a lot of different levels that people are finding ways to pool resources together and that there is paid work and that we need law firms who also are doing this work in different ways. And so it's always, you know, very fulfilling to me to be able, for example, to refer folks to Dorcas or mention the work that she does at her law firm, um, in part because we need more lawyers doing this work and we need more law firms who are specializing this and also approaching it in a community lawyering approach or a movement lawyering approach. I really liked when Dorcas said that they do training, particularly to other lawyers. So yeah, that's absolutely needed. For understanding this community lawyering approach to how to be of service to a community as opposed to being of service to self. But I found that with managing, I managed, that's how I learned about co-ops. I managed uh, limited equity housing co-ops. And as a manager, it's how did you take direction from the board, from the community, as opposed to going in and saying, we're going to do this, and this is when we're going to do it, and this is how much we're going to pay for it, is what do you want? Okay, that's so critical. So, Dorcas, you're here in D.C., is that correct? Or Baltimore? Where are you? I'm, at, I'm in Baltimore. I'm you're in Baltimore. Baltimore. Okay. Yes. So, both of you, I want you to uh, know a guy named Anthony Cook. And I may be, um, Renee, uh, if it's okay, giving him your name and number because he's starting a clinic at Georgetown. Okay. And so that's what he has been about. He said, the last I talked to him, he had a dean approval. And I don't know where he is. I haven't talked to him in a little bit, but uh, he seems to be going, doing really, really well. Okay. And Renee, we talked about costs. What does it cost if I came to your firm and I wanted help to start a co-op or something? So, so the, the legal work is free. Oh, Dorcas, you just <laughs> okay, Dorcas. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, but I mean, but I guess just to say a little bit more about the nature of the work, right? A lot of the work doesn't happen in a lawyer's office, right? right. So much of this work and building co-ops, right? Or building other types of collective democratic organizations is really about people engaging differently with each other, building deeper relationships of trust, trying to have that democratic practice of collectively figuring out, okay, how are we gonna move forward? Or how do we make decisions by consensus? Or what do we see as our priorities in terms of the things that we wanna address? And so, you know, a lot of my clients are at different stages of the process when they're trying to start a co-op. And what we try to do is like to basically put the law in service to whatever their vision is. And so a lot of it, you know, a lot of it is very time intensive, uh, but ultimately I always feel like the law is one piece of a much larger puzzle in this work and certainly not the most important. The most important is really organizing and engaging with each other and trying to uh, build out a collective vision, which for any of us who have been in a democratic practice, like we know that that's sometimes difficult, um, definitely challenging in part because we don't have to do that. There are no other spaces in our society in which folks are actually giving opportunity, opportunities to do that. So. Okay. Thank so you, Renee. On the, on the 
firm side, um, the costs range, right? So the way in which we approach thinking about working with clients is that clients that can't pay as much, don't pay as much. And clients that can pay more, pay more. And those clients, frankly, subsidize clients who can't pay as much, right? So there isn't a one price. There is a sliding scale that is dependent upon the stage of organizational development, the alignment of mission and vision. So folks who are starting a worker co-op of returning citizens or folks who've been impacted by the criminal processing system, right? That's squarely in our mission and those folks pay less. Um, and so we think about who we are uh, working with as a part of that. So thank you, ladies. Uh, we're finishing our first segment here. We're going to get ready to take a break. So thank you. You've said so much to self-determination of communities. That's the piece I like. And they're getting they're charged based on where they are and what they can what they can pay. That's wonderful. We're going to come back and I want to get to some examples of, of the different kinds of communities, different kinds of organizations you all have helped. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. The program is Everything Co-op, and this is Vernon Oaks. You know, there's values of cooperation is uh, self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equity, equality, and solidarity. And in the founders, the cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another, which I think of as the golden rule. And so far... Renee Hatcher and Dorcas Gilmore are attorneys, and they've been talking about these principles, particularly as lawyers, community lawyering approach, lawyers in service of community, understanding and supporting our community, building trust, democracy, decision by consensus at one member, one vote. So that's what they've been talking about, and I want to Go if I can get from you, Renee. What when you both of you have mentioned solidarity and that is one of the values of cooperation. What do you mean by solidarity? Yeah, thanks for that question, Vernon. So I would say for most of my practice, I have been using the solidarity economy kind of framework to approach lawyering. And really what that means is that I, as a, both a lawyer and also how I engage in organizing or just like how I show up in the room, I want to be in principled struggle and also take principled action in doing this work and in being in these spaces. But beyond that, the solidarity economy is like my framework for transformative change and how I think about a lot of the work that cooperatives do is really in transforming the economy to one that actually serves the needs of people, that is sustainable for the planet, um, and that improves our lives, right? And so when we think about the principles of the current economy, right, it's extraction, it's exploitation. It basically is unsustainable. We know that we cannot continue to 
act in the ways that we do and actually sustain the planet in a way that will allow us to live here in the ways that we're used to. So, so a lot of it is really thinking about the values that you just spoke to and how do we embed those values in all of our institutions? How do we embed those values in terms of whatever service work that we're doing or whatever organizing work that we're doing? And to me, that's really what solidarity is about. And beyond that, like solidarity economy, simply put, is really about changing the values that underlies the way that we can actually engage and interact with each other, in part because capitalism has set that agenda so much in terms of the ways in which just relationships work. So we're trying to find new ways that actually are aligned with the values of solidarity, of sustainability, of anti-oppression and equity and embed those into all of our spaces. And so that's the work that we try to do. Those are the, the clients that we try to take um, and clients that have a similar vision of transformative change in terms of both the economy and society more broadly. I really wish I knew how to tweet. I'm going to learn how to do that because you all have said some great tweet stuff here today. <laughs> Lawyers in service of community would be one of them. Dorcas, you said that several times. Self-determination of communities, getting the communities to decide what it is that they want, and then letting the law help them get that. that that's phenomenal. I really like this. I thank you guys so much for being on here and sharing what you're doing. I'd like to spend some more time so we're talking about baltimore and chicago but this is happening all over in talking about the land dorcas this happening in los angeles at the downtown crenshaw downtown crenshaw is the folks out there black folks out there are trying to buy 43 acres and make it into a community that helps them and gentrification so far, the, the folks that are selling it wanted to sell it to white developers who would gentrify it and push the blacks out. And the blacks there are trying to buy it so they can create co-ops and affordable housing that keeps the people there and they can afford it and they can run it and they can get the profit out of whatever businesses that are there. So you could go to downtowncrenshaw.com and just sign up that you would support that. Uh, so this is happening all over. I just left Shirley Sherrard, and they're doing work down there in new communities with the land trust they started way back when. They went to Israel to figure out about this land trust and create the first one, and they're doing a lot on some land that they have there. So this is throughout the U.S., no matter if it's D.C., Chicago, um, Alabama, L.A., everywhere. It's This is happening. So can you give us some examples, Dorcas? Could you give us could start off with an example of a company you're working, a group that you're working with and what you're working with and how you're trying to get them to create a business that helps to transform the, transform the community? Definitely, um, and thank you for that invitation. So there are lots of examples as you just described. And um, one of them that is, doing something similar to, not not to the scale yet, but has the vision of uh, scale that the Crenshaw Project has, um, is called the Village of Love and Resistance in Baltimore, or, or Volar, um, which in Spanish means to fly. And it is a model of both collective land stewardship um, and community investment. And so the idea being that in lots of cities 
we are seeing that we have been, Black folks have been residents for generations. And now because of the city being the place that folks want to live, that gentrification is really impacting us. And so how can we stay in the places that we have lived in for a long time and benefit from the development and not just benefit, but drive what the development is. And so that is what Rolar is about, is what is community-driven development? What does it look like? The same question that the Crenshaw Project is, is, is asking, what does community-driven development look like? And how Volar is approaching this is to say that we need both a community investment vehicle, a way for regular residents to be able to contribute $20 a month, $30 a month in a share and to be shareholders in a community investment vehicle such that residents control in their instance, they're starting with one property and they are building out from that one property that is a wellness and community center in East Baltimore to think about how could they use that property, which they have been very successful at fundraising for, to then purchase other properties around that area, right? So we hear the term flipping and it often means that someone outside of the community comes in and quickly purchases and redevelops a property and then sells it at a profit that doesn't benefit the people who live there. But what if the community, the folks who actually live there, and in this case, a particularly public housing residents, were able to have a vehicle where they have already, they already have an asset and they're able to use that asset to then purchase other assets and then they determine who comes into their community, right? And so that's the kind of approach and strategy that we are supporting. And Volar is one of lots of examples. Uh, the Charles Johnson uh, Park Development Corporation is another in Baltimore. So Volar is on the east side of Baltimore. Uh, CJ Park is on the west side of Baltimore in the Sandtown Winchester community. And CJ Park has a vision of equitable development as well. It roots it in a park, an asset of the community that is named after someone who understood what the community is, has been, and can be. And through that redevelopment of the park, then thinking about the park as a center for wellness, for community, for family, and redeveloping houses along the park, right? And so CJ Park has another vision of all of the assets that we have. So earlier you said that we might not have a lot of money and it we broke, right? But there's actually a lot of resources in our communities, mm -hmm. right? At the same time, when you compare black folks and frankly, low income folks to higher income folks and white folks, we give more, we are more charitable, right? And so it is the case that we have resources they might not be all that we need, but we have a lot. And that when we collectivize them, whether that is tithing in church or whether that is thinking about uh, collective investment and cooperative ownership, that we do have a lot of resources. 
And then there are groups like Tight Shift Laboring Cooperative, a cooperative formed by uh, folks who've been impacted by the criminal processing system, right? Too many of us. And they created their own worker cooperative that is a moving company and have been doing well. They've also been training folks to, as they bring, they have an apprenticeship model like most cooperatives, um, as they're bringing folks into the cooperative. Um, and they operate in the DC and Maryland area. And, and then there are folks that are doing things uh, on a national scale as well. Folks like the National Black Food and Justice Alliance, their Black Land Empower project, uh, where they are looking at how do we do this at scale? How do we um, think about what is the ownership and holding of large amounts of land? We know that we, um, in terms of Black community, have lost a lot of land over generations. My grandfather had a lot more land than I have, right, um, in Bainbridge, Georgia. And so... Can, can I just stop yes. you real quickly? No problem. The Federation of Worker Co-ops, <clears throat> and last week I had Danya Davey on, who took Monica Rain's mm -hmm. position to yeah. sort of help, how do you keep this land? And they taught me that in... In the turn of the century, 1920, I've heard two different the numbers. I've heard blacks own 15 million acres, and I've heard 30 million. And I think we're getting ready to take a break. I hear the music. We're getting ready to take a break. We'll take our second break, and we'll be right back and talk about land loss and what we can do to keep it. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Co-op. And our guest today is Dorka Gilmore, who has her own firm, Gilmore and Shandahar, in the Baltimore area. And Renee Hatcher, who's at the University of Illinois. She's an associate professor? A law professor. Associate law <laughs> professor? And I'm just, instead of <laughs> full professor, we didn't say the full <laughs> professor yeah, tenure. Give me a couple of years. I'm working on that. All right. All right. I taught for 12 years, so I know that hierarchy. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, congratulations on an associate professor. That's not necessarily easy to get either. So before we took break, Dorcas, you were given those examples, and I'd really like to get back to if you have anything you want to add to those examples that you were talking about, because that's what I really want to, people to hear. Or what are the things that everyday people are doing to help to change their communities? What what kinds of organizations are they forming and how you are assisting them in getting that done? And they end up paying with your law firm based on what they can pay. If they're returning citizens is very, and they have very little, their fee is very little. If they are very, very wealthy folk, then the fee may be more in line with what other law firms. I don't know what your fee is, but other law firms. It's, it, it's a, a sliding scale because your focus is how to help people get this community involvement, the self-determination of communities. Any other examples that you want to expound on that a little bit more? Yes, just two other examples. So I was uh, mentioning the National Black Food and Justice Alliance and the Black Land and Power Project and the importance of that for most Black folks, and I was using uh, myself as an example, that my grandfather was born in 1903 in, in Bainbridge, Georgia. And he and his siblings had more land in Bainbridge, Georgia than 
any of my generation. And a lot of that land loss happened uh, because of heirs property and the way in which through generations, uh, folks, I don't live in Bainbridge. My mother didn't live in Bainbridge. And the continued payment of taxes on property, right? And, and who bears that in a family and how that shakes out and sale of land as a result without a vehicle for really uh, collective stewardship of the land as opposed to traditional property defaults. And so the National Black Food and Justice Alliance is really focused on um, how do we think about collective land stewardship, collective land purchase, holding of land, so that in various communities um, that we're able to frankly have what my grandparents had um, and that we have lost um, today. And so that is, um, and that work looks like helping to structure. Um, so uh, Renee talked about transactional work. So if if we're touching a courtroom, something went wrong. We, we are not um, those lawyers. And so the way in which we work with um, with our clients is on how do you think about who owns what, who makes decisions about what, how do you um, collectively make those decisions? What are the agreements that we have with one another? How do we put those agreements in writing? That is uh, a lot of the legal work. And then there are legal forms that are more and less advantageous depending, the, depending upon what uh, the group is trying to do and so helping groups to think about um, is it a benefit corporation is it a limited liability company those kinds of um, decisions and what those decisions mean for long-term black tenure of land phenomenal absolutely phenomenal renee you want to give us some examples yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of the work that I do at my clinic is very similar to some of the, the work that Dorcas does as well. So we absolutely have done projects around Black land loss, affairs property. You know, I think as you were saying, Vernon, in the early 20th century, there was at least, we know, 19 million acres of Black-owned land. And today that looks like somewhere between three and four million acres, right? So we we know the millions of acres that Black folks in this country have lost, uh, sometimes to heirs' property, some, and also the direct targeting uh, and white supremacy, right? That we, the structures and the, the processes that we saw play out for Blacks who were holding land and farming land and the ways in which they were attacked and undermined. And so we've done research projects and uh, direct representation around issues of Black land loss. Um, we work with a lot of worker co-ops, particularly worker co-ops that also are trying to transform the larger industry or economic system, right? So we work with worker co-ops such as Blue Tin, which is a uh, women-owned, immigrant-owned uh, worker co-op that uh, does textiles, that does fashion. Is and they're tin? trying Blue, blue tin? tin? Blue Tin. Tin. Blue Tin, like the color blue and then tin. And the name comes from, oh, what is it? The, the, the blue tin cookies that 
a lot of our grandmas had that apparently were often used as like a sewing kit. That's where they used to keep all their sewing supplies. Oh, like got it. The tin. Okay. Gone, the tin. All of the needles and the thread okay. ended up in that cookie tin. Okay. And so that's where the name Blue Tin comes from. Um, but in addition to the really amazing work that they do with ethical fashion designers, they're actively trying to disrupt a very exploitative industry, right? In in the fashion industry, and they bring attention to the ways in which sweatshops and uh, folks are their their labor is exploited across the world. And so, and they and this is a part of their overall mission. In addition to providing a living wage and and stability for their members, in addition to other things that the worker members sometimes decide that they want to provide or offer to the worker members that they collectively decide on. We also represent worker co-ops such as Shy Fresh, uh, which is- Oh, you work with them? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Shy Fresh is one of our clients and we work with them. They are a worker-owned co-op that provides catering and other types of food services that is owned by um, black women who have been uh, affected by the criminal justice system. Affected or, by criminal justice system. Yeah, and, Incarcerated you know, returning citizens. They've been exactly. affected. I like the way and you I say that. Adopt uh, Dorcas's language here because we know that the criminal justice system never produces justice, particularly for black people. So, you know, different criminal systems and processes. So they're doing that work. We work also with, you know, I also want to think and just speak a little bit to this idea that both the solidarity economy, but also just cooperation in general goes beyond cooperatives. Um, Because we work uh, increasingly with nonprofit organizations that are trying to think about how do we create a different type of structure and institution that actually produces better results for what we're trying to change, right? And so uh, we try to both counsel and inject democratic practices into nonprofit organizations Um, And this is something that I see that folks are asking for more and more, in part because we know the nonprofit industrial complex, but more importantly, the structure of a nonprofit mirrors that of any given corporation. There's a board of directors that often is very disconnected from the people that are being supposed to be served by this nonprofit. And the hierarchy within even nonprofit organizations sometimes produces a toxic culture and environment. And so we're working more and more to come up with creative solutions around uh, democratizing, but also injecting other types of cooperation and solidarity into nonprofit institutions. And, you know, beyond that, I, I would say we do a lot of advocacy work. One of the things that we've recently worked on in coalition with others is to actually just create a new business entity that was specific to worker co-ops, right? And so we were involved in writing legislation that actually created a worker co-op in, in industry um, or entity in the state of Illinois that embeds cooperative values that um, also allows additional benefits for co-ops who are trying to raise little bits amount of money mm-hmm. from the community or for, from regular folks. So trying to think about also the ways in which the law simply does not fit a lot of what our clients are trying to do. Like the principles and the values that underlie business law in this country generally don't jive with a lot of the communities and the clients that I work with. So I've been talking about and thinking increasingly about how do we decolonize like the law, transactional law, 
How do we think about injecting these different types of principles and values into the work of our folks or people who are doing movement work or indigenous communities or black communities who, you know, basically this system and these values are not necessarily the way that we want to live and the way that we want to be in relationship with each other. And so um, the work is, is so generative, I would say, and I really just um, so appreciate the types of freedom dreams that people have and the ways in which we can think creatively as lawyers to help support them in those. So have you worked with Carmen Noble and John Jay of New York? I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Carmen is a good colleague. Um, I really admire the work that she does uh, in New York and at, through her clinic and nationally. Um, so Carmen like does you know, Carmen does dope. Like, that's one of the things that keeps me so encouraged is like contemporaries and people who have been doing this work for a long time and uh, both learning from their examples, both being in community with each other. But I, I would say like this, the work itself is so encouraging because we see how people are doing things differently that actually serves us. We'll be right back. We're taking our final break. And when we come back, we'll continue to talk about different projects that these ladies are working on in different parts of the world and other things. I really want to get to what you can do to help change your community. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Co-op. You know, National Cooperative Bank has sponsored this program for eight years. This October will be eight years. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And we talked, my guests, uh, Dorcas and Renee, have talked about how too often in our communities and black, brown, native communities, we just don't have a lot of capital. We've not been able to save because like in Tulsa, when we start getting ahead too often, whites will come in and take, literally just take and kill and murder and plunder. Uh, so we haven't been able to, to accumulate the massive amounts of wealth. But National Cooperative Bank was funded to come in and help these lower income communities. And we do save a lot. We do take whatever little we have and we tied. Dorcas has already talked about that in church. And in churches, they started the colleges and universities. And we have just done a lot with a little. Now, I want to talk a little bit more with these two ladies about we're talking about lawyering. And is there a network of lawyers? that's doing this work. Dorka, do you want to take that? Yes. So there are networks oh, okay. of lawyers doing this work, which is phenomenal. So uh, Renee and I have both been a part of um, building a group of lawyers, a group of black lawyers that are focused on solidarity economics in different ways um, and in different practice areas across the country. And that group is called Black Lawyers for Economic Solidarity Network, or BLESSEN. Um, and also there, I, I mentioned training uh, previously, and so we will be talking next week um, with a group of lawyers that are forming a network called the Just Transition Lawyering Network. Um, it will be an institute 
uh, where we will train up to 150 lawyers on how to do the range of work uh, that we're talking about here that includes um, what we're talking about as blocking the bad or a divestment from the kinds of practices that have been harmful for our communities and building the new or an investment or reinvestment strategy um, in what is uh, regenerative. And so Renee and I'll be talking next week about uh, reparations and building the new. And so there are lots of lawyers um, who are doing this work. There are lots of lawyers who might not call it this, but are doing it in their community. And so we're really looking at how to collectivize the lawyering, how to train uh, more lawyers. Uh, we have seen an, a level of excitement from law students and legal workers and lawyers in, in various ways around the Just Transition Lawyering Institute and yeah, are excited to, to continue to build this network. In addition to that, there have been since Ferguson, a renewed uh, focus on movement lawyering, um, which is not new, right? Has been around for a long time. And black lawyers in particular have been movement lawyers for a very long time. Um, but I'll say our generation, Renee and our generation, a renewal of this concept um, has really taken off and grown as a result of, of uprisings in Ferguson and in Baltimore and across the country. And so there are, there are lots of formations of movement lawyers that are doing this work in different ways as well. Go ahead. Go ahead, Renee. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think just jumping off that last point and where the landscape, what the landscape looks like now with movement lawyering, you know, I think for a long time, and I think our movements too are, are also doing a better job of integrating not just the resist work, right? Not just the reactionary work when certainly, you know, um, a, another black human being dies at the hand of the state or the cops, right? And people come out um, enraged as they should be, but also thinking about how do we create the institutions that actually let us go beyond this? And so that's one of the things that really excites me lately is that people are integrating more of the build, reimagine work with the resist work. Um, that's part of what we're trying to do here in Chicago. I see now a lot of energy, um, both in the network and movement for Black Lives around creating co-ops, for example, that actually would support abolitionist visions or basically creating institutions that would be owned by community, that would be controlled by community, that actually provide for their safety, for their well-being, for their um, material needs, right? Which is really at the root of, I think, a lot of what we see around just wellness, safety, protection, particularly in Black communities. And so I just want to point that out, shout that out, all the work that's happening, all the work that people are doing. And I think we are more than ever getting uh, and moving into um, a really exciting place, both in marrying, both resist and build, but also a lot of the healing work that has to happen, which also speaks to what's happening both in our organizations, but also as we move through society, through systems, as, as we have to deal with systems and the type of healing that we need to do on the interpersonal level, but also you know on the individual level. And that extends to our institutions as well. And so 
Uh, I'm really excited just about a lot of the momentum and the thinking that's coming out and the organizing that folks are doing right now. So I, I've got resist, build, heal on an individual level and community level. And doing that through lawyering, which I don't normally think of lawyers as doing that kind of work. So I'm really excited about what you're doing. Renee, how can people reach you? They can reach me mostly by email. Okay. <laughs> right now, unless you're one of my students or a client, I don't know if you can reach me. Just because this, we're in the thick of the beginning of our semester. So we're onboarding new clients. We're jumping into new advocacy projects, which is really exciting. Also very time intensive. Uh, but they can reach me through my email um, or what, through. What, uh, is, what is your email address? It's R-H-A-T. R-H-R-H. It's R Hatcher without the R on the end of Hatcher at UIC.edu. Okay. Or they can find my faculty page and all of my contact information is there at UIClaw.edu. And yeah, and you know, I'm hoping I'm not, I'm not regretting <laughs> my email address only because I know how cluttered my inbox can get. Well, hopefully you can scan it. I have to scan mine through and then choose which ones I'm going to take which emails I'm going to respond to. But Dorcas, how can people get a hold to you? So um, similarly, the the best way is info at Gilmore, G-I-L-M-O-R-E, Kandar, K-H-A-N-D-H-A-R.com. Um, we're also on um, Twitter at, at Solidarity Law. Twitter at Solidarity Law. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what what would you like to leave people with? What what statement would you like to get people? Renee. Um, that we have everything we need to create the world that we want and deserve. Wow. Um, I mean, I think what I find more than anything else in this world, whether it's introducing people to co-ops or trying to activate people around the solidarity economy is really just getting past the disbelief that we're we have the capacity the brilliance the energy to actually change the world to build a fundamentally different type of society that actually serves our needs and allows us to be in a deeper more fulfilling type of relationship with each other and so what i find is that once people get beyond that once they think that it's possible, you know, um, that's, that's really where like movement happens, right? That's where like the work actually begins, but there's so many beautiful examples. And I think just people believing that it's possible. Dorcas. So building on that, I would say, um, and we've seen it before. So it's, um, not only do we have all that we need, but we have the memory and the history of doing it before. And so that collective and cooperative action is how we are here today. Um, And that our communities only exist because of our concerted collective action, our common vision for our children, for our grandchildren, for their children. And that that view is not only what has kept us alive, but has enabled us to exceed 
all expectations, our, even our own expectations um, in every generation. So I love what you all said. We have everything we need to create what we want, and we have seen it before. We've done it before. So that gets me to ask everybody out there to get Collective Courage, which is a book by Dr. Jessica Gordon-Emhart. It tells us about that history. There's another book called by Mutualism, and the name of it is Mutualism by Sarah Horowitz that really goes into, I don't know, 1700s, the beginning of time, how we mutually, as, as a people, came together and what we've done. Now, I do want to tell everybody out there, <clears throat> you can go on email and get Dr. Hatchett, <laughs> JD, or Twitter at Solidarity. Solidarity Law. Solidarity Law. Sarah, Solidarity Law. So you can reach these two ladies. They're very, very busy, uh, particularly at the beginning of this, of this, this school year. Uh, also, like if you go to federation.coop, federation.coop, they're having their annual meeting starting tonight. And they are recognizing Miriam Wright Elderman as the 20th Esther Witherspoon Lifetime Achievement Award. And she is awesome. And then tomorrow they have Tom Vilsack, who's the, he's in charge of the Department of Ag. Um, and on Saturday they have their big hat breakfast and prayer breakfast and then their annual their annual meeting. Federation.coop. Ladies, thank you so much for being on. It's absolutely my pleasure. I'd like to have you on again to talk more about this. You and really encourage me, lift me up. I appreciate that very, very much. Thank you. Thanks, Vernon. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Yes. Everybody out there, please have a wonderful cooperative week. Uh, We have everything we need to create what we want, and we've done it before. And these two ladies have told us.